Hello everybody, uh, this is Ahmed here and welcome to an episode of, I think the first episode of a non-Canadian gamer. It would be very funny if they called this one Canadian gamers since uh, the Canadian gamers or the regular hosts Jared and uh, Steven are uh, out of action for this podcast. So uh, they uh, requested for me to take place for this week's podcast and uh, it's unfortunate because it's always nice to have a back and forth dialogue with somebody or even two people. It's nice to have like a, a full like three on three three crowd that we like uh, usually doing. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, this is uh, the situation that we're in right now, and uh, this is the first edition of Non Canadian Gamer, and it's going to be about the E three two thousand eighteen. It's going to be a comprehensive review about everything. And what went on with the show, with the streams, with certain announcements and whatnot, all my thoughts. Uh, important to note that uh, this is going to be from an outsider's perspective. I have not attended E3 this year, but uh, I've tried to virtually attend as much as I could by watching all the conferences live. Uh, I jumped into uh, Sony's and uh, Nintendo's uh, streams from time to time, the post uh uh, conferences uh, coverage with the Treehouse and Sony stuff. I also like checked out Square Enix streams from time to time. So everybody's doing these uh, these extended coverages uh, streams as if you're there. Uh, and uh, obviously it's very hard to watch everything because everything is happening at the same time. But I try to jump around from here and there just to get like a general idea and outlook of everything. Uh, read a couple of impressions saw videos of other people talking about it so that's that's my point of view basically it's not going to be the perfect point of view for somebody who has attended but at the same time it's uh it still uh, offers like a, a more comprehensive uh even with the post coverage because uh the i'm sure the people who uh attended is very hard for them to cover everything they are going to be having certain appointments with certain developers and whatnot but at the same time they do have have more like extended or hands-on uh, coverages with uh, certain games and developers and whatnot. So uh, this one-on-one conversation with the, especially YouTubers, uh, which are now the media, the the uh, attracted audience of E3 2018. And in addition to the uh, mainstream media that we know of, it's not just those. Uh, and obviously gamers. That's the other people. They they opened the show for for gamers. So everybody. So these people are going like lining up, playing their favorite games. It's kind of cool, actually. So how am I going to structure this? Uh, it's important to note that I'm not going to be grading conferences. Uh, it's a bit of different than usual because this year I felt it's a toss-up. And again, it's sometimes not about the conferences. It's more about the post-show in which the uh, developer or publisher showcases their games in uh, via streams or impressions or whatever whatever you see fit. Uh, there is even some people I'm going to be talking about that did not have uh, necessarily the traditional conference, but they had a really excellent showing in E3. Uh, so yeah, I'm not going to be grading them, but I'm going to be pointing out the the uh, the notable ones that were like lackluster or worse than uh, usual. And essentially, like I said, it's, it's a toss up, and each company uh, that had a conference had a positive and had a negative. So what I'm going to be doing is uh, first off, I'm going to be recapping. All the conferences in a very like straightforward fashion, not uh, in detail. It's gonna be like uh, uh, gonna talk about each company. Like I'm gonna think of the one big positive and the one big negative out of their conference. 
Uh, and uh, after I, I do that quick rundown, like like a report card sort of thing, I'm going to be talking about like a, I, I, I sort of like was inspired by uh, my research that I'm doing right now. I'm going to be doing like conducting a thematic analysis of E3 2018, which basically means uh, seeing what the commonalities are, like what did these companies showcase this year that's different or similar than last year's and uh, what are the common themes that have been found throughout all these uh, uh, big developers and publishers and uh, then I'm going to be going to uh, after that the second part I'm going to be doing the third part like basically I have a spectrum that I sort of uh, uh, devised for my uh, impressions or my the, the games that I'm most interested in so I divided it into three parts. Uh, first are like the games that intrigued me, intrigued me the most, which are the WoW games, uh, between quotations. And then the games that were not necessarily uh, WoW factor, but they were surprising in the sense that uh, I sort of underestimated them. They're more than I expected, I would say. And there's a big potential for them to be good games. And uh, finally, the ones that I'm reserved, you know, I'm going to be taking a cautiously optimistic approach and also the disappointing ones uh, in that third category. Uh, after that, uh, I'm going to be like basically uh, pinpointing a couple of like uh, events that happened that were very fun to watch uh, throughout E3. Uh, they're not too much. And then I'm going to be closing out with the final th- thoughts of uh, E3 2018 and what should you should be looking forward to in the future. So uh, first off, let's do the report card type thing uh, with each uh, conference, starting with uh, EA. And I would uh, immediately jump and say that EA and Square Enix are the two uh, worst conferences. You could even go to a point that they're not—they don't really deserve to have conferences anymore in this day and age, like because there's a lot of redundancy in both of them, in the sense that their games can be easily showcased in the big three, which is Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo which happened a lot with Square Enix. So let me not ju- jump to conclusions, but these two are basically kind of redundant to to, to be present around. Uh, so EA, I would say the big positive uh, from uh, their conferences, they did go through damage control of the whole loot box controversy. So they kept repeating with each game they announced, almost every game that has like an extended, uh, like, uh, or, or designed for an extended uh uh, support for the years to come, like Anthem and Battlefield, for example. Uh, we're not gonna have loot boxes. Boxes. We're not gonna have the power to uh, a power struggle, or not gonna divide the community. You know that type of thing. So they're using all these PR stuff to be more consumer or pro-consumer friendly, and they did a very good job with the damage control. I'll give them that because they did repeat it constantly throughout the uh, their conference. I would say the uh, big negative with EA again uh, the redundancy about the conference it's not really it's it doesn't really need to be there and uh, the showcase of their sports titles I I mean like again these games do not give need an extended like big coverage like trailers are enough you know because they're yearly sequelizations and uh, they're catered towards certain audiences like the NFL and the NBA and the FIFA, they're going to buy these games no matter what. So you don't need to give like an extended showcase of these games unless you're you're, you're renovating it or putting a new engine or put it, introducing something like really big and game-changing with these. But they're not really. It's just the, the same sequelization of uh, these games. 
So moving on to Square Enix, which is, I would say, the worst conference uh, of E3 2018, they did adapt a good format, and they do have a very good uh, showcase of games. I'll give them that. That's the big positive about them. They re- they're Nintendo-like. They didn't really they didn't have a live stage or live audience. They did it in a Nintendo Direct-like fashion, and their lineup is quite good. Uh, the big negative, I, as I said, is redundancy. Like, uh, for example, Kingdom Hearts 3. They showed it in the Sony conference, they showed it in the Microsoft conference, and they showed it in their conference. Like, what is this? <laughs> what, what's going on? And all, uh, In fact, most of their games were showcased in other conferences. So, uh, Octopath Traveler, whatever. Like, I, I could list all, all most of their games. They've been, and, and the games that weren't shown, they're basically non-announcements. I'll get to that uh, in the thematic analysis later. So let's go to Ubisoft. Ubisoft, uh, again, the positive, very strong lineup. Uh, it's a contendent of one of the strongest ones in E3, I would say, basically. Uh, they have a lot of good stuff uh, that uh, people would look forward to, and I'm going to talk about this in detail later. Uh, the big negative about the uh, Ubisoft, I would say they're, I don't know, they, they, they're shoehorning this community dependency on certain games. They had this, through, uh, it's a theme throughout their conference, like... Uh, and they're like going outside of the box, but not necessarily. Okay, I don't know what's going on. Like, for example, like Beyond Good and Evil and uh, the Transparency game, they're using celebrities to uh, for feedback and input, and also trials. And uh, they're, they're like saying, "Hey, come! We want the community to come and help us with the game." For example, Beyond Good and Evil Two, they're showing it in a pre-alpha stage. It's not really, really ready to be shown, and they're just help. They're asking for the community to. Uh, contribute and they don't get anything in return whoever like uh, I like uh, Jason Gordon's idea and his hit record company I've heard of it before and it's nice that they're using uh, him as a uh, uh, leeway to have like more quality control with the community adaptations of Beyond Good and Evil but at the same time like they were too dependent on that it felt very and it's really early to ask people of help since they have it. It's still in the pre-technical alpha stage. I found that to be very jarring with Ubisoft. Uh, one notable surprise, uh, I'll go on a bit tangent here, that they're releasing a Wii game in 2018. That is insane, which is de- just dance. Uh, uh, that blew my mind. I'm like, what is this? It's the, the Wii is already dead and out of the market. I know the Wii U is compatible, but w- what's the redundancy of releasing it on the Wii U and on the Wii? Unless the Wii version is very, very cheaply priced and budget priced. So I don't know what's going on with that. That was very strange. So moving on, uh, let's head into Microsoft. Microsoft, uh, the big positive and the takeaway that I feel is that they're shaping up their first company, uh, their first party offerings for the future. They're re- they really did a really good job in, 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 in showing people that, hey, the, we are relevant not just from a third-party point of view, it's from a first-party point of view. Uh, they bought studios. I, I was surprised that they bought Ninja Theory, that they were, which were long-time Sony supporters, and they just bought them outright. So they bought like four, four companies, and they're uh, sh- uh, going to increase their portfolio. So that's nice for the future. At the same time, again, they're showing that they're relevant. I was surprised that they had a really big showcase of Japanese games which is not the typical uh, Microsoft uh, feel of their conferences. They don't really go uh, show these much, but they showed Kingdom Hearts. They sh- uh, Devil May Cry was announced there. Uh, Tales of Vesperia had a spot. I was like, what the hell? Tales of Vesperia is a, is a nice JRPG. I know the uh, the original version was a 360 exclusive, but at the same time, like, uh, 
uh, and Jump Force was announced in there as well. Like all these Japanese centric games had a very nice floor in uh, Microsoft's conference. So it's uh, even though they don't necessarily have a a, a lot of uh, like exclusives per se, they're they're still showcasing relevancy in the sense that these companies are not abandoning them. Like Square Enix, we want you to release your games in our system. Hey, Namco, release your Japanese games in our system. Like they're 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 uh, wooing all these companies so that they 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 tell them obviously that you'll you're going to be having the best experience on Xbox One X because it's the most powerful console currently. Uh, so that's a big positive, the the relevance uh, that's where, that Microsoft uh, touted. The negative, I would say, is uh, all these is going to be have, having a long payoff. Like uh, you won't see a lot of all uh, what they announced in uh, in two, uh, until two thousand late two thousand nineteen and even two thousand twenty, early twenty twenty. Like it's going to be take a long time for Ninja Theory to make their game and all these other companies they bought to make their games as well. Uh, again, the, the one negative I didn't like is the confusing terminology. They did this last year with the whole exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. And they're doing this again. They they were better this year, but again, they're very confusing. Like they showcased, they said 15 with titles with exclusivity. And they didn't really say whether or not these are permanent exclusives for the... Uh, Microsoft or their like temporary launch exclusives, which are going to be released in other consoles. They kept it vague for a reason because again, they don't have a lot of true, true exclusives for their uh, system. And these, it's not going to happen until 2019, 2020. They delayed Crackdown and they had a lot of non announcements like uh, Battletoads. I'll talk about that in thematic analysis later. So I found that uh, to be their biggest negative, like it's, uh, the the terminology and the uh, the long wait until you get uh, the uh, true exclusives for the console. So uh, moving on to Sony's conference, the big big positive is they have an excellent first party showing. Uh, it was absolutely the, the whatever they showed was uh, intriguing, and uh, there's a, a big potential for these games to be very heavy big heavy hitters. I'm going to be talking about a couple of the details later. Uh, the big negative is the obnoxious structure and the uh, poor choice in third-party showings. Like they didn't, uh, I was surprised because they didn't like have a reel of third-party offerings. They showed a couple of them. Like, why did Kingdom Hearts have to take a triple spot? It doesn't make any sense. You would you would think that Square Enix and Sony would have the more logical choice of showing something that's happening sooner, and it's from Square Enix, which is Dragon Quest Eleven. That should have taken the spots for in, in Sony's uh, third-party showcase, not Kingdom Hearts 3, which was shown three times. I know the game is awesome, and I'm looking forward to it, but it, it's just like three times? It doesn't make any sense. And the game is releasing in early 2019. So why didn't they go with uh, Dragon Quest? Like, this is an exclusive. It's, it's a true exclusive that's not appearing on Microsoft's console. So what the hell's going on there? And the obnoxious structure of also... Going, uh, starting in the tent and then going to another uh, area and then they had the music playing in the background it took a long time for them to showcase their games it's just like uh, uh, and the whole dream skits which were very cringeworthy like I, it, it, the structure was very very obnoxious I didn't like it and I'm, I'm sure that the people who attended maybe enjoyed it more but at the same time there's lack of respect for them because they put them in a tent first and then they had to move them to another area and had to pay, wait for another 20 minutes and they put in like uh, in the meanwhile they had a 
three people like in a uh, just conference talking about like third party offerings, like random ones. Uh, and their scissor reels that weren't they, they like the VR one should have been shown in the conference itself, not after. So uh, let's move on to Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda had a big positive, very strong IP. Like uh, each and every game has a big pedigree behind it, and Todd Howard really managed to sell people over Fallout seventy six and and other. Uh, uh, and the Elder Scrolls game that they showed. Uh, the big negative is, I would say, the pandering and all the noun announcements and the the the, the whole self praising, like, "Hey, Starfield is the first IP we have in twenty five years." Okay, but they did, this is still far off, and that's not something to be proud of because you should be having an IP and a new IP every five years. I would say, <laughs> not the first IP in twenty five years. That doesn't make. That's not something to be proud of. Something to look forward to, but nothing to be like boasting about. Uh, and the non-announcements of like pandering to the fans and showing the Elder Scrolls. The, the, these games, Starfield and Elder Scrolls, are way in pre-production. Like we're not gonna get them until the next systems. And uh, they just wanted to put that in just to you know, hey, we have the we want the surprise killer. And even though we all know that uh, they've been working on an IP, they've been working Elder Scrolls. They, they they didn't deny it. It's something that's inevitable. They'll have to be working on those games. So uh, I found that to be a big negative, the pandering. Uh, but at the same time, their strong IP and their really, very strong offerings of selling you the uh, their their uh, their upcoming titles, uh, I, I would say, is, is the biggest positive that came out of Bethesda. Uh, finally, for Nintendo, the the biggest positives I would I would say arguably it had the best st- conference structure out of all these uh, competitors and all the other companies. Uh, in a sense that they, it's rapid fire, uh, rapid fire announcements. Uh, they showcased what they needed to be showcased. Most of their their focus was the now, the 2018, what they're going to be offering soon. Uh, the noise of 2019 games weren't wasn't as prominent. Uh, a lot of people give them flack for this, but at the same time, uh, let's. Uh, yeah, again, uh, this is something we'll be talking about later, but the E3 is not the e, uh, be-all, end-all of conferences. We have a lot of things that are not, uh, potential, and this is Nintendo that has been like that for the past five years. They've been uh, spreading out their announcements throughout the year with their Nintendo Directs and the other uh, uh, conferences like PAX and Gamescom, whatever. You know, but All their companies have been doing that now, so... I won't give them flack for hey, where's Metroid? Here, where's they focus on what's coming out now, so which is very good. Uh, I would say the big negative out of Nintendo is lack of structuring or lack of uh, sharing their plans with their online uh, titles. There's no showcase whatsoever. They didn't expand on what they announced in May, uh, especially since uh, I found this to be very jarring. Uh, one example I would say is, is Fortnite appearing on the Switch, okay? And they did say that voice chat is natively supported with Fortnite. And I was baffled because uh, we're still using the app for Nintendo-centric voice chats. So why is a third-party game having a like an, an easy to uh, to manage and easy to access uh, voice chat while Nintendo's uh, online structure and offerings are still like through that app? And they didn't elaborate on anything. Like they didn't talk about it. Uh, and I found that to be a very big negative. I, I was expecting for them to have more details on their online uh, plans. And uh, how the uh, 
uh, NES titles are going to work with an online infrastructure. So that's it with the report cards of uh, each company in each conference. Now we're going to be talking about thematic analysis. That's my next big topic on uh, like what 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 did we see from all these companies in E3? What were the commonalities and what were the variations uh, and these uh, uh, within these commonalities? So uh, what I found is basically uh, looking at my notes, I would say hmm, the seven points, seven main points that we've seen from these uh, publishers and developers showcasing their AAA titles in the 3 2018. So the first thing that came to mind, uh, I don't know if I should I should list them first and then talk about them. Let me let me let me talk about them uh, one by one. It, I think it will be a better structure, uh, give you more of a suspense and surprise when you're listening to this. So the first thing that came to mind, which is the big commonality and the biggest takeaway, I would say, of E3 2018, was the games as a service structure that almost every uh, big publisher uh, showcased. For example, EA is doing Anthem. Uh, Ubisoft is doing Beyond the Good and Evil 2. Uh, Microsoft, uh, even though this is, I would say, a big negative, even though Sea of Thieves is under this game as service, they did not showcase it or didn't talk about it whatsoever. But arguably, and still the the big question mark is Halo Infinite. Halo Infinite was a non-announcement. At the same time, though, why is it called Halo Infinite? It's not called Halo 6. So there is there is big talk that Halo Infinite is going to be following this games as service structure that a, a, an installment that uh, in a sense that it, it basically will liken it to Destiny 2. Everybody's doing that now. They're likening this to Destiny 2 and Destiny since these are the first games that uh uh p- like promised gamers that our game is going to be continuously supported for years to come. Uh Bethesda has Fallout 76. So uh, all these titles uh, promise that we're going to have an online, integrated, interconnected world that's going to be continuously supported throughout the years. We're going to be updating it and giving you more stuff and more things to do. And most of these games uh, opted for not uh, putting it in a season pass structure in the sense that we're going to be putting it free content. But we still don't know. Like uh, Battlefield Five, for example, I would uh, 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 categorize that as games as a service. But they did say we don't want to divide the community. We're going to be supporting our game for years to come. But it's going to be all free content. Uh, not sure about uh, Anthem and uh, Fallout, but they did hint that they're going to be putting in free offerings. But uh, is it going to be alongside pay, paid stuff? They did say that we're not going to be putting in positions of power and pay to win uh gameplay mechanics which is excellent uh i personally see games as a service as something uh, i don't know i find it as a negative or it's not my cup of tea uh it's just a bit disappointing especially when you look at anthem for example they do promise this integrated world that everybody's going to be playing as and it's it's always real time and what you're seeing is everybody else is seeing and they divided the single player portion of uh uh, Anthem and the multiplayer portion, but they're both one game and essentially. But you will see as a design choice, and they said that they are certain things that are uh, synonymous with Bioware games, like uh, what's it called, uh, the uh, branching past, the romance. They've sort of eliminated that 
in favor of streamlining the single player experience and making it paired up with the multiplayer. So the multiplayer portion, I would say, is eating over the traditional single player stuff that Barway regularly offers. So there is a a a, a give and take on on in, in design, and I would say the other games also will 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 have that uh, uh, aspect. Uh, not everything is going to be as you know as a single player game. They have to think outside of the box, especially Fallout. Like you look at that, and also uh, it doesn't seem like it'll be played played like a traditional Fallout, since it's multiplayer centric. You could they did say well yeah they have this pandering thing oh well you'll you'll have a single player thing it's going to be harder but you could play it solo if you want it's not going to be the same experience and it's basically it's going to be dumbed down unless you play it multiplayer you're not going to get the full experience of the game. So personally, I still not sure where I I stand, but I'm not really looking forward to it because again, not my cup of tea. And I'm a gamer that plays the here and the now. Like I play this game now, uh, and if there's like DLC expansions, okay, I'll I could fire it up later. But something that's interconnected, integrated, multiplayer centric co-op, uh, and it's taking away from the single player aspect, I really don't find this to be something. Uh, uh, good in the long run. It might uh, pose a lot of problems, especially since uh, they're they still uh, some of them are some companies are still uh, opting for both free and paid content for that uh, integrated integrated world. And again, once these games are over, it's over. And if you don't, uh, again, if you jump ship early, you might find a very dumbed down experience. But if you jump in like years later, you might find the game to be amazing. But everybody else that has have been early adopters are way ahead of you so you know you, it's it's very difficult to gauge and again i, I i'm not the type of gamer that will play ga- games for years to come unless it's something like addicting or multiplayer centric like uh versus like uh, play or uh and whatnot uh it's uh I'm more like a year than now i want to relax i want to play i don't want to like schedule stuff so a lot of gamers who are in my camp will also feel the same way with games as a service so second of all is uh, the this is also a very surprising theme that I've found is each company essentially has its mobile game again like taking a page from Nintendo going to the Super Mario run route and and releasing a mobile game like all these companies now are showcasing their mobile titles some did it well and some did not do it well Uh, I would say uh, Command & Conquer was the worst way to showcase a mobile title because it's a dead franchise that has been revived in mobile form, and a lot of people do not like that. The big backlash, even though the game seems like it's well designed, but it's still free to play. It's going to have these aspects that hardcore fans have been waiting for for so long time, and the RTS genre is still relevant. They're still uh, releasing XCOM. We had Mario and Rabbids. So there are people who are still releasing RTS games, uh, and. Uh, uh, and it's strategy games, the top-down strategy games. Like, why isn't uh, like why aren't EA uh, doing the same? Like, okay, they have the mobile experience, but hey, why don't you release something like for Steam, like a new Command and Conquer, a new Red Alert? Doesn't make sense. Like for Microsoft, on the other hand, they did a really good job because uh, even though the structure was weird, like they they showed the Gears mobile game first. But I like that they're expanding on Gears. That was that was a very cool thing. Like it's not just Gears. For mobile, it's not just a new Gears RTS game. We're releasing the new Gears Five, so that was a very, very cool idea. It, it should have been flipped; like they should have shows, shown Gears Five first, and then show the RTS, and then show the mobile. 
but they did it in a very good way. I like that they're not like uh, centralizing it around like one game and one announcement and that's it. Elder Scrolls uh, did not need all that time, I would say. Bethesda was, was again, they, they had this pandering thing where they, oh, it's going to be as if uh, the single-player experience, as if you're playing a real Elder Scrolls game, and, and it's obvious that there are a lot of dumbed-down mechanics, and it has this dungeon-crawler-like structure that a lot of uh, mobile games have. It, again, it's impressive for a mobile game, but they are they sold it to a point that it's as if you're playing a full-fledged Elder Scrolls game, and that's uh, it didn't need all that time. Uh, Square Enix did one thing right they showed their Star Ocean mobile game in their show floor not in their conference there was a big like coverage on that and uh, incidentally I just started I I signed up for the uh, beta beta test and I played it for like an hour now Uh, I I liked it it's very very even though it has this free to play mechanic it it was very enjoyable because it has a lot of essence uh, in the battle system from the Star Wars franchise, I would, I would say it's something like relaxing to play. I didn't expect them all to release it in English anyway. It's very popular in Japan, by the way. Extremely popular. <laughs> Maybe it's the, the most popular Star Wars game in Japan right now from all their, the titles previously. And hopefully that opens the door for a true sequel or like a re-release or remaster of Star Wars in the second story. Hopefully we get these stuff from um, Tri-Ace. Uh, so it's nice that Square Enix focused on their mobile game in the show floor. What the surprising absent here with the thematic mobile stuff is Mario Kart. Uh, I would, I would, fu- I was fully expecting that Nintendo would showcase that, like in their their uh, direct, like talk about the new Mario Kart for mobile. But they didn't. They just chose to opt to ignore it, uh, even though all the other companies were doing the same. So okay, let's go through the third theme that I found is the non-announcements. Uh, and you guys, no, I've ta- I've hinted on this before when I was talking about the conferences. Elder Scrolls, Starfield, the Respawn Star Wars title, the Platinum game for Square Enix, the new Remedy game from Control, it's called Control, Halo Infinite, Battletoads, I, I popped for Battletoads, but that was that was a non-announcement, like what the hell, like <laughs> hey, we're, we're working on Battletoads, it didn't show anything, uh, and I would categorize Death Stranding as <laughs> under that category, I'll talk about more in detail later. I'm sure a lot of Kojima fans will give me backlash and be surprised by my impressions, but that's that was that was an unannouncement to me, and I'll I'll talk about it in detail when I'm talking about my my surprising and reserved moments of E3. So yeah, we have this theme of people jumping into their uh, the, the companies uh, showing all their hands early, especially Bethesda did it a lot this year, uh, and that theme incidentally ties into the narrative of the tale between two worlds. Basically, people being reserved, the companies being reserved and not showing enough, and companies showing a bit too much. Uh, I, I put in the 2019 syndrome as the title of this theme. Uh, and it's this struggle between, like, if you look at the AAA announcements from all these uh, these uh, six uh, uh, major companies, half of the titles were 2018 uh, bound and had... Uh, early 2019 set dates. The other half of the games, they don't have. They either have 2019 dates or to be discussed. Like we don't know. So half of your showcase was things that are here in the now, basically. And that again, this is something that has been carried that, that carried over from last year. It's 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 something that people have been complaining about constantly. Like okay, we're working on this game, but you didn't show anything about it. Okay, what's the use of announcing it? Uh, thankfully, some people were. 
There were there were reservations like Nintendo, for example, and I would say Square Enix to a point they were reserved. I, I like again, even though they had a very like poor uh, E3 conference, their short flow was good because it to- focused on things that are coming up this year, early next year. Kingdom Hearts, Dragon Quest, and th- this should be the focus, especially Dragon Quest Eleven. Like this game needs to do well. It's a reboot of the franchise in North America. And they're they're working so hard on it, and the localization work is just absolutely amazing. So they should showcase this game more. And when I'm looking at pictures and videos of Square Enix's show floor, I was impressed by Dragon Quest especially because they they did have a nice uh, showcase for it, and they did offer free shirts for people to come and and, and just try their game. So uh, it's pretty cool. It's alongside Kingdom Hearts 3. People are obviously way more excited for that than Dragon Quest. But let's hope Dragon Quest does well. I'm, I'm hoping that it does like Persona 5 numbers. But again, uh, it, it remains to be seen. Uh, so yeah, it's just that this, this tale of people being reserved. I think I'm more leaning toward uh, having these uh, being reserved more than showing your hand. But at the same time, E3 is always known for the surprise announcements. Uh, and and surprising takes on on oh wow they, they, I didn't expect that to be announced now, uh, and they should keep that tradition. I, I but not to like to a huge extent to a huge degree, uh, in the sense that this game is still not going to be two three years light years away, like Elder Scrolls, like uh, Starfield, and like Final Fantasy VII remake. That w- that was an amazing announcement. Looking back at it, but uh, in retrospect, I wish they didn't announce that game. I wish they just kept it under wraps until maybe this year, because we d- we don't know nothing about it. They say that uh, hey, we're developing it alongside uh, uh, Kingdom Hearts three, and it's in it's not in pre production. It's actually in development, but we haven't seen anything for it. So people were looking forward for a surprise thing at Sony's. That's why I think maybe it would have been uh, more logical for them to showcase it this year rather than like a couple of years ago. So that's the fourth theme. And then the this is not really a theme, or maybe it is. Like uh, I would say the, the pacing. Uh, some people had really good pacing, like Microsoft, like Nintendo. Some people had the, the cringe, the cringe moments. That's the theme of, of E3. Yeah, the uh, EA, Bethesda. Uh, they they were very cringy, especially like the uh, and Sony as well, like the cringy awkwardness with their 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 showcase and their uh, E three. I don't like that uh, they when they used music and they had like music, it either uh, took too much time from the game announcement. Like Sony, maybe for example, they should have simultaneously had these people play the music while the trailer was being revealed, not play the music for like four or five minutes and then show the trailer for another five minutes. It was a lot of like wasted time there. I would say the only people who did music well was Ubisoft when they had Grant Kirkhope play Donkey Kong theme for the Raymond and Rabbids, uh, Rab- Rab- Mario and Rabbids uh, expansion. Now that was really good. They got the guy who, who composed for Donkey Kong, composing or, or directing a, a, a band in while the trailer is being played. That's how you should do it. So, uh, the next theme is, uh, I like this one, the sudden releases. Like, they had a lot of, hey, hey, it's releasing now, it's releasing tomorrow, it's releasing in a few days. They had a lot of these surprise announcements, especially from Nintendo. Like, they had the, the Arcade Archives, uh, Donkey Kong, they had uh, Fortnite for Switch, 
Hollow Knight. Uh, uh, I, I like that they showcased an indie title to be released today and they gave it a lot of free time in the show floor. Captain Spirit from uh, Dot Nod. Unravel 2 from EA. That was, a, that was a good move that releasing it the same day was a surprise announcement. The Octopath demo. Uh, that was that was nice. I like that. Like they should do more of these like sudden E3 announcements and uh, and and stuff for uh, fans who are following E3. So the next theme is uh, I I like this one. A lot of people didn't. Uh, a lot of p- companies are supporting their older games, games have that have been released a year ago, and there's continuous support for it, whether it's free or free or via DLC or via expansion pass. For example, uh, I was surprised by For Honor. From uh, Ubisoft, that game was dead in the water. Like a lot, a lot of people were playing it. Only like a dedicated community, but they took feedback and they're revamping it. They're adding more stuff to it. Uh, that was very cool. Prey from Bethesda that surprised the hell out of me. Like I didn't play play Prey, but now when I look at the expanded content, they have free and DLC uh, paid. I want to play Prey now. I want to like try it out. Uh, that was very cool. Uh, Xenoblade, th- that was very impressive. I like the Xenoblade 2 DLC for the part of the expansion patch. It's not, they, they showed, uh, two things for Xenoblade. First, they, there was one, uh, and within the Nintendo conference, which was the, uh, new store prequel. And it's, it, it's also as a standalone experience. You could buy, buy the cart for it. And it introduces you to Z- the actual Xenoblade 2 game. But that was very impressive and seemed very cool. They had new mechanics for it. Uh, it it was very similar in gameplay to Xenoblade One, and the other thing is the small like uh, uh, small additions as part of the expanded uh, DLC expansion pass. They released as soon as they announced uh, this, they released it in the same day, in which the characters from Xenoblade One uh, are going to be playable in Xenoblade Two, uh, which is Shul- Shulk and Fiora. I love that announcement. That was not in the conference, but that was in the show floor Treehouse expanded coverage. Uh, finally, uh, Black Ops Three. That that was that surprised me. Not only that they show, they gave it free for all PlayStation Plus members, is that they're giving new maps, like ma- remastered maps from the uh, previous uh, uh, Black Ops titles, are appearing in Black Ops Three, not just Black Ops Four. And even though the incentive of getting them, you have to pre-order Black Ops Four, if I'm not mistaken, to get these maps. It's still a very very good idea for hardcore fans, like uh, whoever pre-orders this can get these maps and play it early. Uh, very nice idea. Love that. So uh, the final theme that I have here. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention something in the sudden releases. They announced a Crash Bandicoot remaster, uh, the uh, next level, in uh, in honor for the game coming out on multi-platform. Uh, Sony, uh, the people who had the PlayStation 4 version, will also get that level soon. Uh, that was a surprise announcement. I didn't expect like an extra level. Uh, very very cool stuff. So yeah, let's go to the final theme I have is the sequelitis syndrome that every E3 uh, uh, has, and uh, again they could they could they could fall into two camps. It's it's something that's going to be uh, in gaming for years to come. People have to build their IP. People have to show sequels. Uh, again, I have no problem with it, uh, especially uh, sequels that I didn't expect, like Devil May Cry Five. That that, that was an amazing uh, thing to show. Uh, but there are people like again this these yearly installments. I don't know Assassin's Creed is going back to the uh, they took a rest and now they're releasing Odyssey after soon after the uh, the one they released uh, last year. 
Mm, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But again, it's again this this can go either way. It's very subjective. People love their sequels. They love their IP. So it's something that's going to be here in gaming for years and decades to come. Not not every we can't necessarily get an IP a new IP every year. You know. So that's it with my themes. Basically, I think there were nine. I said I said seven before, and now <laughs> there are nine themes. <laughs> Uh, finally, let's get to the uh, no, that's that's not the final. That's actually that's the third segment of the podcast, which is the uh spectrum of my personal take on which were the games that wowed me, which were the games that were surprising and had potential, and which were the games that were I'm reserved about and I'm kind of disappointed with. So, uh, first thing game that came to mind in terms of wow factor was Ghost of Tsushima from Sony, the PlayStation Four. That was absolutely amazing reveal. It felt very organic. The gameplay felt real. It didn't feel like it was uh, something staged. It seemed like as if you were controlling it. I, I had a feeling like as if I was playing a mixture of Onimusha and Bushido Blade in, in one game with a very artistic take on it. Like uh, Sucker Punch, I, this, this can be their, their best game ever because it looks absolutely amazing. The artistic integrity of the game is really, really cool. I loved everything about that reveal. Even though there was no date, it seems more complete than <laughs> Death Stranding. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep uh, uh, bashing Death Stranding. This is also a theme that you see in this podcast. So that's the first game that, okay, wow, that was, that was really cool. Next game, Smash Brothers Ultimate. Again, that was an amazing showcase of that game. Nintendo did everything that they needed to do. Uh, it's uh, again there's this discussion that's going on is it a port is it a new game basically i don't know why people are having this argument because we've seen fighters who who've do, which do, which have done this before uh this ultimate complete all in one package everybody's coming back like mortal kombat trilogy is the first that comes to mind like they they've done the same thing they've reused assets and remastered assets with um, alongside uh, like new things and surprises the characters like a one or two and they put all the cast into one game. Uh, same thing with Ultra Street Fighter Four. They did the same thing. Like it's the same engine, but uh, they've updated the assets. They've put all the characters that they wanted to put alongside some like two, three new surprise ones. So Smash is doing the same thing. Basically, they they've taken that route of hey, we're gonna re- reuse the uh, engine of Smash Four. Even though they're claiming that it's it's built from the ground up, I don't think it is. But they've made so many enhancements to this engine for Smash Ultimate to the point that it's now a full fledged like sequel, best uh, compilation fighter game of their uh, their franchise. Uh, again, uh, the, the attention to detail that Sakurai has uh, was very very like amazing. Especially like I don't want to. I'm gonna if I if I keep talking about Smash, I'm gonna be here forever. But there is a lot of attention to detail. I would summarize it in the sense that it is trying to garner or gain the trust of the competitive guys who've been playing Millie by speeding up the game and offering more advanced techniques, but catering to the Smash Four or the uh, casual crowd by putting everything in, like in stages, characters. And the Ridley uh, sudden like surprised Ridley announcement. Uh, they're they're gonna cram everything in in one game, and I can't believe it's coming out in December. Again, it's it's been enhanced to a point that it's no longer like Smash uh, Wii U. It's now a fully 
fledged sequel compilation game that, of the likes of Street, Ultra Street Fighter 4 and Mortal Kombat Trilogy. So, next game that impressed me was Resident Evil 2 Remake. Uh, the announcement was very cool. Uh, even though it was leaked, again, I did not expect it to be announced or showcased that heavily. A lot of people played it in the show floor, and they liken it to Resident Evil 4, uh, rather than the top-down uh, perspective of Resident Evil 2, which I'm a fine with because I love Resident Evil 4. Uh, very nice showcase, uh, hopefully, the, and it's nice that they have we have a set date for that game in early 2019. Uh Next up, Kingdom Hearts three. Again, there's nothing to be said. Then it's again the same the same aspect that Smash uh, Ultimate is doing. They're just cramming in as much Disney worlds as possible. Stuff from Pixar, stuff from Frozen, stuff from whatever. There, Gratatouille was there for a bit. Uh, very cool. Uh, Cries of the Caribbean world was very uh, detailed and lush, and it seemed very re- realistic. And the bombastic action gameplay. I don't know. It, it really. Uh, gives Devil May Cry run for its money. Uh, speaking of Devil May Cry, I would say that's the next game that wowed me. I was not expecting it. They they deleted <laughs> Devil May Cry, the DMC Ninja Theory remake from existence. They are following up with Devil May Cry 4. Uh, the gameplay looks really sick. Uh, something that I didn't expect to wow me, Dying Light 2. I did not play the first game, but this one seems like it has an organic like uh, feel of... Uh, open world like parkour zombie game with more choices you have uh, i loved how they they showcased the the amount of choices that okay the the world can change depending on what you choose uh something that uh, people will be surprised is as a wow thing is tetris effect this was a pre-e3 announcement but i saw like an interview with the creator of Luminis and the gameplay of uh, tetris effect it seemed like a very relaxing game and it's the the guy is is built to make puzzle games that are like very visually and audio, audio visually entertaining, and in, integrating his quirks with Tetris is the best of both worlds. I would say it's a it's a dream crossover puzzle puzzle game. I do not expect to love this, but it, it's for me. It's like in the top of, top of my list, and I might get a VR just because of that game. <laughs> and finally, I talked about this before: Dragon Quest Eleven, simply because they've localized it in a very very excellent fashion. Uh, one little detail that I noticed that the uh, the enemies they all have these uh, small voice uh, clips when you defeat them or when they attack uh, that's something that's not present in the Japanese uh, Dragon Quest so I love that for the first time they voiced the enemies not just the ca- main characters so that's it with my wow games let's head on to the surprising better than expected oh I did not expect this game to be uh, uh, good and there's potential for them to, to be uh, Spider-Man. Uh, I did not like the last showcase of Spider-Man because it seems scripted. When they showed it now, it seems very fluid. As if the world, the dynamic world, and you, they're, they're all going in in sync and there's not a lot of scripted moments or quick time moments as, as much as the last reveal. Uh, uh, Pokemon, uh, the next one is uh, the Pokemon game. What's it called? Uh, let's go Pikachu, let's go Eevee. I wish Steven was here to talk about more detailed impressions on that, but Again, he was fearing the. Uh, it, it, it's a side game. Let's let's put that's that's the, and we there is a Pokemon game that's coming in the the main line hardcore Pokemon game that's coming in later. What I liked about this side game, they're not really they they it is like Pokemon for dummies in a sense, but at the same time they've kept the turn based battles. I thought they would eliminate those entirely. When so when I looked at footage with the expanded Nintendo Treehouse and the, the conference. 
it seems that they're integrating the best of both worlds. Some stuff from Pokemon Go, and the they're keeping like turn-based uh, uh, tactics and choosing your attacks. Obviously, streamlining some aspects of uh, the depth of it, but it's just it's still there. Like the, you, you still catch Pokemon in the same fashion. You have to weaken them, and then you do the the ball comes in. Uh, this is where the Pokemon Go experience uh, is adapted. But I like that they're giving bonuses. Like they, if, if you throw the ball in a certain way and you catch it like in the perfect fashion, they give you more experience for that. So that surprised me. I thought it would be more dumbed down than it is. That's that's uh, I'll give it that. It remains, remains to be seen how dumbed down it is. But what I've seen so far, it's not really, really like a uh, a, a, a game for... Like uh, that, that completely eliminates the spirit of Pokemon. It's still there. Uh, it's as if you're playing red and blue in a, in a fashion. Now, let's put it at that. Next surprising game, uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which was showed in the conference, Microsoft conference. From Software has been everywhere this year. Like they're collaborating with everyone. They're, uh, Activision is the last publisher that comes in mind with collaborating with From Software. They're publishing this game. This not this outside of their portfolio. They're making like a VR from software. They're making a VR game. Uh, they're also uh, working with uh, uh, what I forgot the name of the company. That was Metal Wolf Chaos. Everybody was asking about this quirky game, the President Robot type game. So they're everywhere this year. Uh, next surprising one, Super Mario Party. I was so happy that they went back to the. I didn't know they were going to announce that anyway. But when the fact that they went back to the old style of uh, gameplay in which each person can walk on the board freely. That was oh my god. Like I, I was so thankful of that because the last two games were very difficult to like with everybody being attached in the same uh, cart and moving in the same time. Uh Starlink, that surprised the heck out of me. I thought it would be this uh like throwaway toys to life type game. Not just because how the announcement they integrated the Star Fox that was the, the one of the most surprising like announcements Star Fox integrated into the game. Uh, it's a dream come true for the developers and for gamers because uh, when the more I look at the game being played, the more I feel that this is the Star Fox game that Star Fox Zero should have been. And I like the fact that the, even though you're using their proprietary uh, Toys to Life uh, uh, type engine, it's not like you scan the toy and that's it. It's like like Amiibo or Skylanders. It's when you change the modular, uh, it, it changes in real time. Like there is a ship of uh, Star Fox or Airwing, for example. If you attach a small gun to it in uh, uh, in real life, the gun appears in the game in real time. So I love that idea. Uh, again, uh, it remains to be seen how expensive or cheap these toys are. I'm not a toy to, to life type of guy, but the fact that Fox is being play is playable and it has this dynamic uh, world that seems similar to No Man's Sky. Uh, the planet you could you just go ahead and, and zoom in on the planet and it has this very nice like space opera type feeling I'm looking forward to it uh, Soul Calibur 6 the more they show of this game the more I'm like okay this is getting very cool uh, uh, it's not like wow for me but I'm looking forward to it uh, finally Fire Emblem uh, I for- completely forgot that Nintendo's working on a new Fire Emblem for the Switch uh, from what they've showed, it seems like it has this uh, traditional Fire Emblem type stuff alongside this army type feel that Warriors introduced. So looking forward to that as well. So finally, let's get to the games that I were, I would, I'm kind of reserved uh, about and I'm somewhat disappointed with. Uh, first off, Jump Force. Jump Force, I love the announcement. That surprised the heck out of me. 
But when I looked at gameplay, it seemed very generic. The graphic, uh, the graphical presentation is nice. This has this realistic type tone, but the gameplay is very generic. It seems like all the Naruto uh, 3D title fighter titles that were released and seems very similar to Dragon Ball, uh, not Fighter Z, the other Dragon, Dragon Ball Xenoverse. You know that type of 3D fighter from the back, and it's very fast pacing, fast moving. I don't know if they they should innovate more on that. Uh, next of all, uh, next of uh, next game I'm reserved with is uh, Last of Us Two. A lot of people are going to be surprised by my impressions here. It's just that it seemed very scripted. That's the only thing. I'm, I'm, it, it looks absolutely amazing. I love the graphical uh, fidelity of it, but it's a scripted. It seemed scripted. I don't know uh, how would this integrate to the actual gameplay of the game. Uh, everything about the demo felt scripted, so that's why I'm like, hmm, not really sure about that one. Uh, you will see a theme with a lot of my reserve titles. There, most of them are from uh, are uh, also games that I've talked about uh, previously when I'm talking about the uh, thematic analysis. One is Fallout seventy six. Again, as I mentioned before, the whole co op aspect. I'm still not gelling with that. Same goes for Anthem. Anthem seems like again, in order for it to pay off, you will be a beta tester as soon as it's released, and the game will get better two years, three years down the road. Not a lot of people have that time and not a lot of people are willing to stick it with this game um, except for hardcore Bioware fans. But again, they'll stick with it and hate it at the same time. That's what a lot of Destiny people I've noticed have been doing. Like they stick with it because there's this addicting gameplay mechanics with Destiny. But at the same time, they managed, I don't know, uh, Bungie screwed up the whole PR of Destiny 2 with their... uh, uh, ever-changing uh, experience mechanics and uh, pay-to-win mechanics and they're just tr- trying to churn and charge people more uh, even though they've bought the game and bought the season pass. So I, that's what I'm afraid that these co-op integrated online uh, dynamic games that will do. So that's why I'm reserved by, by Anthem and Fallout. Finally, uh, Death Stranding for me, That's this is the most disappointed game, uh, the most disappointed uh, game of 2018, disappointing game of 2018 in my opinion. I'll tell you the reason why. Let's give a background first. I appreciate what Kojima is trying to do. Like when I, when he's the editor of the trailer, he completely edited everything from the ground up. And he is the sole uh, mastermind of this game alongside his developers and Kojima product- Productions. For the first time, they've, show, they've shown gameplay, but at the same time, it's it's a moot point because the gameplay didn't reveal anything. It's just like this guy walking in in the overworld and that's it. He's a delivery guy. He gets a couple of stuff, but you don't know how the gameplay is going to end up to to be. And I was expecting after like years of working on the game, like at least he edits in some gameplay mechanics, but no, no gameplay mechanics were edited in. It's just somebody dra- traversing the world and having a backpack or delivery delivering certain things. I respect the integrity of Kojima. He, he, the guy, he loves being influenced by international uh, 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 actors and music and whatnot. Even though he's he's uh, centered in Japan, uh, like when I read the blog post of uh, his uh, his mindset when when editing the trailer is like. I, I, this actress is from France and this actor Maz is from Sweden. He's, he's trying to like, this is from America and this guy's from, like, he's trying to integrate an international feel to the game. It's not just, just even with the music. He's, he's choosing the background music and I love the background music, uh, 
I don't know what the name of the track is, but whatever he chose, again, he said that he, when he was walking around in France or whatever, and he, he just happened to stumble upon this album in a music shop. You know, it's just, it's, it's amazing how he's influenced by all these things. And it's like an artistic, the trailer is basically an artistic representation of what Kojima likes. At the same time, though, it, the payoff is just moot because there's no gameplay. There is no gameplay whatsoever. Even though he revealed gameplay, there's nothing. And uh, I've been following the... I don't know if you guys know Yong Yi. He's a very famous uh, YouTuber. I love his videos. And how he, he, he talks about how he met Kojima uh, in E3 2018. And, how, and Kojima asked him what he thought about the trailer. And again, uh, I, agree, I agree with Yong Yi's sentiments that it's an artistic representation of what you like or, or the game itself. It's not necessarily a, a, a trailer, uh, gameplay trailer per se. And he's like, please tell that to Sony. That's what Kojima's response was. And I, I got the impression immediately that Sony did not like that trailer. And rightfully so. Because again, it's the only one out of their top games that they've shown that there is no gameplay whatsoever. Nothing. It's this, just the same reveal repeated for the fifth or fourth time. The, the first two times, I, I, I okay, I like the in, in, intrigue and the usual playfulness and joke, jo, the jokester Kojima who likes playing with people. Hey, you could find more when you're just looking at the trailer more. But again, it's it's it, it, the trailer and the, while it's being revealed, they have this these vague sentences uh, thrown in the trailer. And a lot of Japanese love doing that, especially like Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy. They just throw in these sentences of love and hate and when death does us. You know, that type of philosophical, I really don't like it when Japanese the games do that. And it gets very, very grating. And he did the same thing. Like every time he shows a segment and then he puts in a sentence. Uh, and it, again, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it will make sense to a lot of hardcore fans who are looking for commonalities. And they're analyzed, hyper analyzing trader. But in the here and now, it, it's like there's there's nothing shown. Like uh, all they show is what's previously been shown before. Maybe there are some stealth mechanics, but again, there's nothing to hide behind. It's this open world aspect, Breath of the Wild like, I would say. And these ghosts are like you should not be detected by them. And this baby who is attached to a, a, a electrical socket, which basically flashes the ghost and basically I think there you're being hidden by the ghost through this baby and again it's it's very quirky but there is little gameplay I, I at least show mechanics at least show a new eye show something so so some so form of how we're going to be playing the game and what's it's about is it stealth is it open world is it adventure is it action like we the game is not categorized yet you would assume that uh, since people uh, Kojima loves stealth games, he would um, continue with the stealth mantra. But again, he wants to change up things with, from a gameplay perspective, and he's showing and he is showcasing the Decima engine, which uh, Guerrilla Games uses for Horizon Zero. So he might have a lot of these aspects. Like it, it you weren't you can't necessarily put the game under one genre, but at the same time, there is something close to liken it to. But with Death Stranding, again, that's why it's the most disappointing game for me. I just don't like this. It's it's getting to a point that when it's grating, it, I'm disinterested until they show gameplay. That's that's where you guys get get me. And I agree. If Sony doesn't like the trailer, I agree with Sony entirely. And from Young Yi's video, I definitely go check and watch it. Sony does not like the trailer. It, 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 that's the insinuation that Kojima uh, <laughs> gave when he was talking with Young. So. Uh, 
I, I got everything out of my chest with Death Stranding finally and the spectrum of uh, games that I was impressed by. So let's get to the closing uh, uh, moments or closing stuff that I want to talk about before I end off the podcast. Uh, there are moments that I want people to go check out before... Uh, the, and most of these moments were uh, within uh, the showcase of E3, not the conferences itself. Uh, especially, I would say, Capcom. Capcom... Uh, even though they didn't have a conference, they should have had because they have a very strong E3 lineup uh, from uh, uh, Mega Man to like some Street Fighter stuff. It was really, really cool. I like what Capcom managed to show. Devil May Cry 5, Resident Evil 2. Uh, the, for me, I, I managed to catch the final moments of the wrestling gaming crossover that Capcom had in which they got... This was amazing. They got the Two wrestlers from completely different companies, which is Kenny Omega from New Japan and Xavier Woods from WWE, or the, or the, the New Day, as people call their group. And they managed to put them, pit them uh, in a one-on-one Street Fighter V battle, and they had the theatrics of WWE uh, wrestling promos before and after. And it was very, very entertaining to watch. Loved it. And it's you would think it was it was an impossible thing to do since WWE does not like to mingle with uh, companies uh, outside of their spectrum. But maybe in the gaming world, in the gaming community, they didn't mind it much. Even they even promoted the WWE in social media. They promoted like the Xavier Woods, and they talked about Kenny Omega, and they even surfaced like a couple of uh, old footage that they have from Deep South Wrestling, which was which is under their umbrella now. I was like baffled by the whole thing, and it was very amazing to watch. Uh, second of all, uh, uh, it's not it's not a moment per se, but the uh the Fortnite Sony discussion that happened as soon as Fortnite for the Switch was announced, people should be following this more because uh, uh Fortnite is cross uh, compatible in terms of online play with all the consoles. Like you could play Switch versus Xbox versus mobile versus PC, except for PlayStation. Sony remains to keep their PlayStation 4 community and online uh, aspects closed and a lot of people a lot of people who have been playing on uh, mobile and other consoles and in the Switch they wanted to uh uh carry on their progress from PlayStation 4 to Switch but uh, your Epic account if you if it detects that you have played in the PlayStation 4 you cannot connect it to the Switch or any other uh console and this sparked a very big big, big discussion because Fortnite with Switch was released during E3 so people should follow that up. Uh, the other thing that happened in the Smash scene uh, was uh, obviously the uh, everybody's talking about how Waluigi was left out, and there's a lot of Waluigi memes coming out, and they want him to be playable, not a assist trophy. I find it very funny that he was the most hated character ever when he was released. Or he was revealed in Mario Tennis 64. It was revealed. It was everybody didn't like him, and he was the like I would say, the laziest character ever been, uh, designed. But now he's been garnering a following for the past, past couple of years thanks to the Mario Sports titles and Charles Martinet's quirkiness and how he's like self-loathing and self-deprecating. So uh, maybe Nintendo will listen. I'm not sure. But that should be fun to, to follow up on. Uh, Devo- Devolver Digital's conference. Everybody should go... Or Mock conference. Everybody should go check that out. It was absolutely hilarious. 
they announced like two three games uh, including metal wolf chaos but basically the whole conference was a parody of what people are doing and it's like sort of like a statement on the game industry and, and how people how companies are shilling people uh and and uh, <laughs> and like continuing i i liked how they made fun of the nes and super nes classic in a way so people should go go check out the full conference that was hilarious uh, another uh, moment I would say is uh, go. Uh, uh, I think that it was the final day of Nintendo Treehouse. Uh, they got uh, a employer who has been Nintendo for the past thirty five years and attended every E three, and he was responsible for warehouse and uh, they got him because they were announcing Donkey Kong uh, as a Switch release for the arcade archives and the history behind it, and it was an absolutely amazing talk. And this guy talking about the history of how. Uh, uh, they've released Donkey Kong in the arcades, and there's also they released this uh, game called Skyscraper, which is un- an unreleased uh, arcade game in North America. But they had one ROM file that this guy was responsible for, so they managed to extract that and release it as an arcade archives game that's coming later. The story of all this is like getting very fascinating stuff if you're into like old school. Uh, gaming history and video game history we obviously know that he, he can reconfirm the whole uh, mario naming mario because of the landlord that he was named mario but he also delved into how pauline was named pauline <laughs> he was actually married to uh he was actually his girlfriend was named pauline and he married her and now she's her ex-wife but pauline was named after her then and you get all these stories and it's it's quite fascinating definitely go check that out uh, finally, the I would say the PlayStation VR showcase. Everybody should go see what's being released for it, because they should not put this in the conference. But Sony put it after the conference and they put extended coverage on it, especially Tetris Effect. But they've been like promoting a lot of other games for it as well. Um, for example, like Ace Combat. Uh, it's I think it's being released next year. But there are other games I can't really remember the top of their head what else they announced. But everybody should go check out that showcase. So I guess that's it for the uh, moments, and let's go to head on to our final thoughts of E3 2018. <coughs> Sorry. So, uh, from what we've seen, uh, the the common themes that have been uh, presented this year and have been repeated in the previous year is the like I said the dichotomy of revealing revealing everything or being reserved. Um, I think. Uh, <coughs> As years go by, E3 will be less and less relevant as a platform of revealing stuff because if you look at the history of E3, it started as like an electronic, that's from its name, electronic entertainment. A lot of like uh, uh, professional media outlets from the electronic spectrum, not just from the gaming spectrum, and business suits used to attend E3. And there was a time like in the mid or late 2000s in which Project COE attended, only media was allowed. They were very, very strict for a time. And now they've opened it up to gamers and they've this, the streaming the streaming boom that happened and even people who are at home like me can watch everything. I don't need to wait for a magazine to be released. I don't need to relate, relate, uh, wait for the uh, mainstream media like IGN and Kotak to release their impressions. Like a lot of YouTubers are putting their coverage as soon as they get it. Uh, we, I would say you know, Project COE was a pioneer in that because when they, we went to these E3s, we filled them everything and we put everything one of our most popular, if not a po- most popular video, was the Final Fantasy XIV reveal, which everybody should go check out now. Uh, it was uh, like the, very confusing. So yeah, uh, like all these platforms coming out, E3 is, is becoming less of a relevant place to actually talk about business, talk about entertainment, and 
and and revealing new stuff. I think people are more heading, uh, the companies are more heading towards the direction of spreading out their releases, uh, <clears throat> and following Nintendo in and and having like directs and having their own schedule. Like Sony has the PlayStation Experience, and they reveal stuff in their own pace. And there's obviously packs. And there's obviously Gamescom because a lot of people say, oh, E3 is over, so let's wait for the next E3. <clears throat> and they forget that there are a lot of company, a lot of uh, events and opportunities throughout the year to reveal more stuff. So even though things weren't announced in E3, it's fine because we do know that there are other conferences coming up and other things coming up and, and each company having their own platform to reveal in now with <clears throat> with the streaming boom that happened, I would say. So again, uh, I'm going to repeat, it's not the be-all, end-all. Uh, it's nice that it's gamer-centric now. It's very fun to watch, I would say. Uh, and uh, people should look forward to the other events that are coming. Not every, not, A lot of people were reserved and did not show their hands. And I, I think Gamescom is going to be a place that we see more stuff from uh, the likes of Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, especially. And uh, again, uh, maybe one thing I would like them to change is is not releasing these pre-production hey we're working on this with a very like 10 second trailer and and just like a non-announcement i i want that to be eliminated from e3 basically there's these non-announcements these hype announcements it, it wastes everybody time everybody's time it increases the hype to the degree that you can no longer quell it especially with stuff like final fantasy 7 the elder scrolls starlink you know all these type of games i don't see a lot of hype behind them because they're just announced too early. We're not going to see results except like after 2020 <laughs> with the next consoles. So yeah, I hope you've enjoyed my long-winded E3 2018 comprehensive review. I wish we had uh, Jared and Steven here so we could like discuss back and forth uh, all these points that I've made. But in any case, hopefully we see them in the weeks to come and uh, have like expanded impressions on certain games. Uh uh, I'm sure like Jared has his favorite games that he wants to talk about and Steven has Pokemon and other games that he wants to talk about as well and uh, stay tuned to Project COE for upcoming podcasts upcoming content uh, as always this is Ahmed uh, enjoy your time hope you had a wonderful E3 whether you were there or whether you were uh, attending like me virtually see you next time bye